Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the V-Soup podcast. It's slap bang in the middle of holiday season here, but we've put down our pina coladas and wiped the sun cream off the microphone long enough to record a show. Uh, we're joined by Brian Nudson, a fellow V-expert who needs to update the About Me on his blog. Hi Brian, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you guys? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I do notice actually in between our, um, you know, you came on the uh, show tonight at pretty short notice, which is fantastic. But in between me looking at your bio on Twitter um, about two hours ago and uh, looking at your bio just before we started the show, I noticed you've updated it. Yes, yes, I did. Um, I was actually in the car on the way to uh, my new headquarters with SimpliVity. Um, spent the, the last, my first two days um, just going through uh, their global sales training and they wanted to, to ship me over to headquarters to do HR type stuff. So I was actually updating it on my way over here, getting ready to talk with you guys. Fantastic. I was going to say, I can almost still smell the sheep tip. <laughs> so, yeah, again, uh, you know, uh, I, I made a sort of a similar move from end user to, to reseller to vendor. So it's, uh, it is, it's quite an adventure um, and certainly a, a big change from... Uh, yeah. Certainly from the the end user world, not so much I think from a reseller world, but uh, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's a whole new set of things to play with. Oh yeah, and a whole new set of secrets to learn that they don't always let everyone else in on. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, it sounds like what? <laughs> <laughs> Left myself open there. Yeah, uh, you said they w- they wouldn't be secrets. I think they're almost as secret as some of the uh, the acronyms that you use on uh, Twitter, uh, Christian. <laughs> Oh come on! <laughs> when I Google I, these acronyms, you're making those up. <laughs> when I Google these acronyms, I do find they exist, but usually it's like thirteen-year-old girls on chats and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, he has been on holiday. I'm just saying. <laughs> let, let, let's let's just hang it there, like Brian did. You, you kind of left that open. <laughs> We'll park that conversation. Take it offline. <laughs> but but I, I recently came back for a week's uh, from a week's vacation or a trip to Denmark, uh, attending a, a football uh, tournament there with a bunch of fourteen-year-old girls. So it it might have rubbed off a bit. <laughs> if I start randomly screaming, you'll you'll know why. What's the random screaming about? Well, fourteen-year-old girls. They scream. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, I mean the uh, the, the reason that uh, the conversation that led uh, Brian to to be on the show uh, this afternoon actually started off. I, I caught one of his tweets and thought it, it sounded uh, vaguely familiar, and uh, it, w- it was around. Uh, actually, well, Brian, if you if you want to tell us tell us around it, and I'll sort of interject with with how how I came to sort of reply to it. Yeah, definitely. So, like I said, I was I was sitting in sales training, and you know it's. Uh, Dumping the Kool-Aid through a fire hose on us, which is always a great way to start a brand new job. Um, but one of the one of the guys that was up presenting came up with a great analogy that I thought was was worth sharing. And, um, and essentially, what I posted was that uh, IT wants to buy a car, not an engine and brakes and transmission and wheels, and then put them all together. Um, you know, that's kind of the to me that really sums up the whole hyper-converged story pretty well. Um, and and to to what extent the converge story as well, um, where you don't, you know, most of us these days I think buy cars not to be gearheads and 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 tweak everything we can out of them and replace parts and put in new new engines and transmissions. We buy them because they come as a package package feature that that are all working together and 
hopefully we don't have any questions on it. And if we have a problem, we take it into whichever automobile manufacturer that we bought it from. And they they fix it and they get things working again. So the the whole concept with Converge is is very similar to that that car approach. Yeah, because uh, and, and it reminded me I um, I put a a blog together after uh, a tech field day where we had a lot of it was just as the whole sort of V blocks were first launching. Um, and you had the the V block FlexPod wars, and then sort of HP came in with their whole matrix stack. And, you know, we got thinking about the difference. Well, initially, it was the difference between a V-Block and a FlexPod in that a V-Block was something that came shipped on a pallet and you dumped in your data center, you gave it some power, you gave it some network, and it, it worked and it gave you some virtual machines. Whereas a FlexPod was almost the instructions on how to build that. Um, and you could get someone to build it for you, but it was much more like a, a kit car. Now, I don't know if they necessarily have kit cars as much in the States. Um, but it seems to be, it's, it's very peculiar British thing where men with beards build cars in sheds. Um, they, they down, they buy the instructions and they might buy some bits of an old Ford and they'll get some, some parts from somewhere else and they'll, they'll possibly buy the chassis and they bolt it all together and they end up with a car. Um, sounds like my lab. <laughs> Much. Um, and then you end up with, you know, the, the other one, which was, you know, roll, completely rolling your own infrastructure, which I sort of liken to actually having to hand cast the cylinder block yourself um, and take a lathe to a bit of metal and turn it into a brake disc and go, uh, go from that to that sort of extent. And, um, you know, I wrote that, I wrote that in, in 2010. Uh, long before any of the, you know, these hyperverged, hyperconverged or hyperverged, nice word, uh, <laughs> solutions uh, came onto the market. And I've been racking my brain for the last couple of hours as to, okay, what's, what's the automotive transition to that? Is part of me thought, well, hang on a second, perhaps it's like renting a car where, um, Actually, today I only need to buy a smart car, but tomorrow I actually I might need to go furniture shopping. So I'm going to take my smart car back to the, the rental place and say, give me a bigger car. I need one right now. And they'll give me the bigger car, the car that I need at that, that moment at that time. Um, or if actually at the weekend I'm going to go for a track day or I'm going to take a pretty girl for a, a drive in the country. So it needs to A, have a comfortable seat and B, be quite fast. <laughs> um, yeah. that, that sounds a bit like more, more, uh, more like cloud. Yeah, so it's like more cloudy because it's a rental model. Yeah. Um, but what about these? Uh, there's something that's like a car club where you actually pay. Again, I suppose it's OPEX where yeah you pay a fixed fee every year and you can you get to borrow a car a certain amount of times. Yeah. I suppose that's really just a different consumption model. But yeah, so I was trying to work out. You know, what's is it a car that magically will expand in your garage overnight, um, seam seamlessly without having to buy two cars? So. Um, that, that, that sounds like GM cars, though, but they they kind of disintegrate. On the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's just swelling because of like water retention. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's different, though. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just trying to work out, you know, how would how would you describe the difference between you know something that is inherently this sort of web scaled or um, you know converged infrastructure that include that has a much more linear uh, point of scale than uh, say. A, a V-Block, for example. Um, how would you try and describe that in automotive terms? I guess the uh, the analogy I would probably come up with, and and, and given my association with SimpliVity now, I, I don't think I'm allowed to use that W-scale word that, that you brought up. Um, <laughs> that may or may not make, <laughs> be, make me a one-week employee. 
to be quite honest, I don't think anyone should be allowed to use that. Anymore, but that's, that's besides the point. I'm, I'm glad you said that and not me. I just yeah, well, want to make I, sure that's noted. Yeah, well, that's my, my opinion, though. Uh, that's nice <laughs> enough. Yeah, so um, I guess the analogy I would, you know, to, to, to continue building up this analogy, hyperconverged would, would be more of... Um, you know, when you sit down in the car and you, you know, you turn on the car, you know, we've got these push-button ignitions now that just kind of do all of the bits and pieces. It's got an automatic transition transmission. You don't have to change gears. You don't have to, um, you know, we've got, um, you know, Microsoft and Apple technology showing up in cars where we just push a button and say what type of music we want to listen to and it auto-tunes the station. And all these things happen very almost automatically, to use a stupid word, Um Whereas the the converged or you know the converged um, 1.0 type model, as as our marketing would put it, um, would be more of you know manual transmission. You've, you've got a shift and the crank where you've got to crank the car up in order to get it to to turn over initially, and you know the old the old push button radio where you've got to push it or turn the dial to to uh, to, to make the station change and. I guess I don't use that analogy to make it sound like it's clunky by any means because I've been known to sell a, a V-Block or an HB Converge system in the past, and, and they work well, but they are different pieces of management that you've got to maintain independent of one another, whereas the more the hyper-converged story that, that you get from SimpliVity and, and Nutanix is you know, it's a much more integrated experience. It's It's much more centered around... The operations of a virtual environment where you don't have to go and manage all these separate parts individually. They just kind of function together to give you what you need. Yeah, well, no matter what kind of stuff you build into the car or the infrastructure or whatever, it, you're still going to be going to be able to screw it up. Uh, basically, <laughs> last Saturday, a few days ago, I managed to ram my car into a tree. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, and I have sensors warning me that there are obstacles in the way. <laughs> a tree, perhaps. Uh, well, it turns out trees in Denmark don't move if you try to back into them, which I, which I thought they did for some reason. Now, the thing is, there was a lot of people moving around behind my car, and I couldn't see anything because it basically the car was filled with luggage for all the four of us for a week's holiday in Denmark. So, anyway, I hit the car. Uh, the car hit the tree. Uh, small. No big deal. Uh, getting it fixed on Friday, so no, no problem there. But the thing is, no matter what kind of technology we put into these things, be it a car, be it an infrastructure, be it uh, whatever, uh, you're still going to be able to screw it up just by being human. Uh, no matter what we build into them to safeguard that. There's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way we can... Okay, software define ourselves out of a stupid people. Yes, and I've I've always been a big one to say that people are always the weakest link in the data center. Um, you know, technology generally works the way it's supposed to, but at the same time, people have to build it, people have to code it, people have to operate it, mm-hmm. and and that's definitely where things break down. And I guess if I want to, I'll go ahead and tie us back to our our car analogy. Um, mania that we have going on, and you know that's that's why we made the move as a society, as an industry, as an automotive industry towards automatic transmissions, because it's kind of it's a lot harder to kill kill the car when when the person 
isn't in charge of the clutch and isn't in charge of, you know, potentially dropping transmission and, and grinding gears and whatnot. This is true. Um, although, I mean, in the UK, they have just passed the, um, the legislation to, uh, uh, to extend the use of driverless cars. So, the, uh, you know, you might be able to actually remove that, that layer 8 issue. Yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely possible, and it's really interesting watching that kind of develop out of Google of all places. Yeah, I mean, well, they've had a few sort of um, these sort of private private ones, um, like the big airport in the UK. You can get from one of the car parks to the uh, um, to the terminal in these what affectionately gets known as Johnny Cabs after the uh, the cabs in uh, uh, not Demolition Man. Um, oh, it's that other film that's on Mars, Total Recall. <laughs> oh, okay. I was there. I had it, um, and yeah, these sort of little sort of self-propelled kind of pods, and they're actually ex- extending that scheme uh, to, to my hometown to get between the train station and the shopping centre, which is about a three-quarter of a mile journey. Um, so, yeah, it's it should be uh, quite quite interesting. But if they can extend that to actually on the roads rather than on their own sort of tethered uh, tethered uh, gateway type things. It should it'd be uh, yeah certainly quite quite interesting. Yeah. Until, until something, some software, some people or uh, person made screws up and we're screwed. Oh yeah, there'll be a bug and they'll try and kill us all. But apart from that, yeah, it'll be absolutely fine. Or people yeah. figure out how to hack it, then uh, drive you off a cliff or whatever. Oh, thankfully, thankfully, Milton Keynes is really flat, so we're, we're, we're pretty cliff-free. That's probably why they chose it, just in case. But uh, actually, there was a really good blog post I saw from uh, Julian Wood, who's a pre- previous guest on the show, and he was talking about, you know, okay, so software-defined data center is current buzz, buzzword of the month or of the year, anyway. Um, and he was his sort of emphasis was actually we should be moved to a policy-defined data center. But whether it's being controlled by software or whether it's, you know, whether you've got um, hardware that is just there, commodity hardware with a a nice software layer on top of it, or whether you've got uh, explicit uh, dedicated hardware to do a particular job, at the top of it is the policy. And if you don't define those policies clearly, that's when you end up with um, the, you know, the human element doing things wrong. Yeah, well, isn't that basically what the software-defined data center uh, is anyway? Do we need to redefine the buzzword to include policies when that's basically what we're trying to achieve anyway? Yeah, I think I think it should because it depends on whose take on on it you you, you look after. You know, uh, is the software-defined data center defined of you know having um, yeah commodity hardware with a soft, the software layer on top of it that does the specialization, so whether that's the networking stack, so, you know, this NSX, um, or the storage stack, so, so the vSAN and vVols type stuff that VMware are pushing pretty hard. But they, they seem to be pushing out the message that software-defined means just that. It's that all the clever stuff is done in software and your hardware, we don't, we don't care who makes the hardware. Um, where actually, as you say, you should be going beyond that level and, and putting it at the policy one. And that was pretty much the uh, the pitch of uh, Julian's blog, which I'll make sure we link in the, the show notes because it's a, it's a good read. And I'm hoping he'll do a, a VMUG session about it uh, in the next few months. So when he's talking about policy, I didn't read the blog. 
When he's talking about policy, does it? I mean, that that includes automation, of course. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, you can only automate so much. Yeah, very true, and and you know, it's it's clearly a goal with with the whole cloud movement and the whole SDX and XAS is to to get to the point that anything that can be automated does get automated mm-hmm. and uh, ties people in only when necessary. I suppose the only thing you end up being tied up to is the automation and orchestration system. <laughs> well, somebody's got to yeah. set that up as well. So, yeah, yeah exactly. The other thing is the only thing really worth automating is stuff you do repeatedly anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't basically. Well, I, I guess most people don't repeatedly install or configure their infrastructures as such. What's Automated, and what's uh, what you can automate is basically uh, getting services or applications or whatever up and running when you have the infrastructure for it. You can't automate the uh, the infrastructure in the same way uh, because even if it's software defined, if you if you need to actually expand your data center, you need to get some hardware in there anyway. You just can't automate your way into a. Uh, more CPU or more storage or whatever. So you, you mean it's not a workflow for buying more hardware? Oh, uh, <laughs> it could very well be. It. It's there's obviously some manual process in there, but mm. I've I've worked through with customers in my previous previous job where, yeah, I could take something like vCenter Orchestrator, put it in your environment, um, you know, put vCloud Director or whatever to interface with with the end users, and they say, hey, I need this new thing, and the system automatically detects, well, you don't have enough capacity for this new thing, so let's kick off an email to to our EMC sales rep to, to get us some new disks and yeah. tell them how much space we need because we can tell what the delta is. And, yeah. you know, you could theoretically automate it to that level if, if you really wanted to. I don't know that I would really want that. But uh, um, does, does the, the system automatically wait till end of quarter to get the best deal from the... Uh, yeah. And I'm sure the sales rep would love if you do that. Oh, I'm sure they, they should actually be investing in that code for us so that we don't have to write it. But um, I mean, but yeah, there are technologies. Sure negotiation. Out there. Yeah, there yeah, are uh, you technologies. Still need to get you still need to get it physically in place and connected correctly and whatever. Yep. Uh, so that that's the part of the process I'm kind of uh, referring to. There there are manual steps that you basically can't. Automate, but you can automate everything leading up to those points. Yeah, but those aren't really the ones that screw stuff up. The ones that screw stuff up is like somebody who changes a setting and then go home on a Friday afternoon or something like that. And like, and some of these auto. What's cool cool about the automation products is they'll check to see if the settings are the same or not, then switch them back. Yeah, so that's the whole sort of policy thing. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. the example that Julian gives, and it's possibly not necessarily a popular one, is Windows Group Policy. Mm-hmm. If you ch- if you change a setting on a, a local policy setting, and there is an overriding um, domain level policy that the next time it comes around to check, it will set it back. Yeah. If it's been done properly, of course. It, you know, as it, it, actually, Windows Group Policy is a pretty good example of uh, what happens if you do it wrong. Um, that uh, and why a lot of people don't like GPOs is because they've managed to make a real mess of them before. Yes. <laughs> well, you should always have true. a test group. You should always have a test group. Yes. <laughs> Never <laughs> test in production. Never test in production. <laughs> no one ever does that. We're, we're okay. No. No. Never happens. <laughs> certainly, certainly none of my customers do. Yeah. Uh, 
But, you know, there are technologies out there. Um, look at EMC VMAX Cloud Edition, for example, where you can do capacity on demand. It's built for, you know, hey, we need 10 terabytes today, but we have a feeling we're, we're going to need to grow over, over the next three years, potentially hitting 40 terabytes. So EMC has, has SKUs. You can sell them um, capacity on demand, and it's physically all there. It's just that you pay for it once you turn it on. And as soon as you consume that next terabyte, it, it flips on the billing automatically. Yeah, didn't HP try something like that with servers? I'm sure they had a, a deal where if you bought 100 servers, they'd actually ship you 110. And you'd only then pay for those extra 10 servers if you needed them. I can't say that I've, I've seen that, um, but HP is huge and they can get creative sometimes to, to pull off stuff like that. I don't, I don't know that it was ever a rolled out form. Yeah, it probably wasn't. I don't know if it wasn't a sort of a general, a general thing they did, but it, it was it was something that I remember being offered as an option when I was uh, when I was with Deloitte. But I suppose that, that's, the, that's just a, just a way to cover the asses so I'm dead on arrivals anyway. Yeah, but I suppose the the, um, the catches, and I don't know if EMC do it now. If you look at storage costs per terabyte, they're not flat over the over that five year period that you're, you're tied into using that. Cloud edition storage costs per terabyte are not flat. No. Nope. If you turn on a, a terabyte in year five, I bet you they charge you the year one price for it. I think that's the way the model worked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that, and you're paying for the actual when when the guy actually hits the button, you're paying for his service as well. For it, for hitting a button, which actually, yeah, this is EMC. It's going to be expensive for them to do that. <laughs> Probably have to pay for the button too. It's a really pretty button, though. It's got dual power supplies, little blue LEDs. Some guy in a basement talking about it. Oh, no, no. Oh. <laughs> it's it's a great concept, and you know, I can see it would probably initially appeal to yeah that that high high level purchaser because yeah, you know, you can just use it when you want. But then you, when you start to look at the uh, the economics of it, um, you actually sort of wonder. That paying for capacity that you're not going to paying the same rate for capacity as you, you as if you're not going to use it um, would be would be bad. So is it surely more in your advantage to kind of right size things from the word go? Um, the thing is also that during that time frame, uh, let's say you have a five year time frame for something like that, the technology itself changes so much that if you just have this subscription-based subscription uh, model for actual hardware in your data center and you only pay for it when you start using it, if you start using that at year four... It's out of date. Yeah, and you're paying year one prices for it as well, and that would make it even harder to actually get it replaced mm -hmm. because you're, 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 actually, you're committed to actually paying for it for the next X years, yeah. Yeah. Surely, exactly. so it's better to start small. Well, isn't that where the hyperconverged stuff comes in, to be I, honest? Yeah. It, very much so. I mean, the, the model is that you just, you just you know, I, I equate it similar to, um, you know, the left hand or the equal logic type model where you just add in another another node and you say mm -hmm. add add to the, add to the federation, add to the, to the, configuration whatever whatever term happens to be used and uh it 
you know, goes through some magic to automatically expand the storage, expand the compute side of things, add it into, into the vCenter cluster, all those, all those things that it needs to do to, to make that a part of the whole. Yeah. And now it's part of the collective. And, you know, at that point, then you start talking about scalability and you still have the, com- the complexities of how big do you want it today? How big are you going to have it be in three years when the technology is still not ready to be completely off the books and tossed out? Um, you know, you got to size it properly given whatever limitations that platform may still have. Yeah, but that's also something. You, you also end up with a problem, let's say, after year three, and you want to expand something. Uh, how how does the hyperconverged solutions actually manage to, to do that, considering you might have a different CPU generations in, in the nodes available yeah. to you three years later? Absolutely. Uh, and would it does it actually automate setting up the cluster with the correct EBC settings for CPU masking or whatever? Uh, that's I I haven't played with these things, and I, I certainly haven't haven't played with them in a way that I would put in a new a newer version of a node from some vendor three years down the line because we haven't really hit that point yet. Yeah, yeah that's, I suppose that is one of the challenges is that a lot of these platforms haven't hit their sort of end of life. And do you sort of go on expand? You know, do, do you end up like the, the you know the the broom that the, the cleaners had for twenty five years that's had five new handles and twelve new heads? Um, that you just basically once you, once you've hit sort of a certain capacity, it's cheaper rather than extend the cluster by an additional node by removing a node and replacing that with a higher capacity node, for example. A new generation uh, node. And, and, yeah, and then basically, slow, rather than uh, expanding, you then go through a node replacement. So you still stick with the same number of nodes in your cluster, but you then expand them. And assuming you have got the compatibility settings uh, right, then that should, fingers crossed and pray, pray to the, um, the sysadmin gods, that should work. Yeah, saying, so considering the the EVC settings were set from the get go. Yeah, um, if they aren't, if they aren't, yeah, then what? You you're, you're going to have to have some down, downtime for that cluster to to but be I able. Almost, to, I oh. mean, almost with these hyper converged things, for it to make sense, you shouldn't really have to play around with settings like EVC. In exactly. my opinion, VS, um, whatever version of ESXi should be should work directly with the vendor, and they should compile a version just for them. Right, where they yeah. can be backwards compatible, and you don't have to pull monkey around with settings. Then you're still playing around with compute storage, everything separately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's obviously the the ticket to wild un, unfettered ex- success. And it's it's still too early to tell, um, you know, how, how it's going to play out because you know your your two main vendors are, you know, two three years old at, at the most. Um, but when we, if we look at similar platforms that grow the same way, um, I, I mentioned left hand and Equalogic. Uh, I'll throw Avamar in there because I've had some experience there that was painful. Um, you know, you get a new generation of nodes out, and I've had customers with Avamar in the past that here's here's this new generation out, and they're like, well, will it work with our old generation stack that we've got? We go back and we look and we find out, no, it's, it's going to be a pretty impactful change. Okay, how many of the old generation can I buy right now to protect myself in the long run? And they go out and they buy, you know, they need two right now. We're going to go, we're going to buy five because I think our growth per- 
projection is going to take us that far. It'll take us two or three years out. And then they miscalculated or growth was bigger than they expected. In a year and a half, they're coming back saying, you got any of those old generation ones still available you can get us? And, you know, we scramble because we try to do best for our customer and maybe we find something on the gray market. Speaking about about Avamar, that explains the whole Converge thing pretty perfectly because um, they have this Avamar um, virtual appliance as well. Yes. And all you have to do is key in a license code and boom, it doesn't matter old version, new version, you can just upgrade it uh, and you have the new generation. That that really decouples the that's what that really decouples the hardware from the whole uh, the whole structure mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And and that's that's a similar approach that we see with, with VSAs and, and the VSAN side of things is you know, soft, software defined and you segregate them so that you can virtualize it and do stuff with it. And there's always limitations around that because you can't you can't assume the full the full throttle nature of an entire box. But um, you still have to deal with I mean, we still deal with compatibility issues with different pieces of, of software. Um, you know, what what version of vCenter do I have to be on to be this certain version of, of a v, of an ESXi server? Um, you know, those compatibility things don't go away. Um, Unfortunately, um, you just you know vendors just have to do their best to make sure that they've they've got the widest compatibility, and that's that's true with any any appliance based model that that scales like that is you make it as uh, interoperable historically and forward as possible so that you can slip in the new stuff, grow what you have, let attrition take out the old stuff over time, and be able to roll things forward as you're going going on, and that's. That's where things end up being the most successful. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose does it also um, get affected by your, I suppose the the underlying model of applications that are sitting on it. So if you have applications that have a traditional life cycle of you know maybe two to three years for an application, and then there's a new version that's brought in, and you actually you time that application upgrade with if yeah if you do have to move if you've got for some reason an island of technology that you don't want to upgrade any further that you deploy uh, the next version of that application on the new uh, the new infrastructure and that's how you, you affect that attrition but if you've got you know and i hate to use the words uh, but if you, you know people do this sort of more continuous development the devops kind of stuff there's less of a um, a line in the sand where you say all right now we're going to put stuff onto the new hardware yeah and that's you know it's it's it, 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 no matter which way we cut it, whether we talk about the the uh, go and forge your own parts and sort of putting them together based on whatever plan you've got, all the way through the kits and the buy and, and manage separately through the everything's automated and comes as a package. At some level, there's there's a stack of pieces that have to work together. Um, the advantage of the, the hyperconverged really is that um, in, in that model, it tends to all be owned by one entity. And therefore, they can release all of the different pieces of the stack at, at one time and deliver those all at once, saying, this is one big thing that it updates everything in the environment, and we guarantee it's all compatible from here going forward. And that's that's really part of the, a big part of the, uh, the selling point for, yeah. for such an integrated stack. Well, isn't that one of um, SimpliVity's kind of party tricks is that you don't necessarily have to conform to that model as long as you've got the SimpliVity card and the hardware that you can actually stick that into your own rack-mounted host? 
That that is a a use case, absolutely. Um, um, I, course, I suppose sort of moving forward, do you, you know, do you think they'll ever go away from that to pure pure software, or you know, is the the custom silicon on that uh, that accelerator card is is that going to be the you know the unique feature of of simplicity over anyone else? There's there's uh, there's special sauce both in the software and the hardware, so I don't see that hardware piece going away. Um, you know, it's it's kind of the the core engine to um, you know, SimpliVity really is is more of a data virtualization product than anything else. Um, being able to present storage with inline as it comes in during ingest gets deduped, gets compressed, um, gets virtualized, and moved to the proper places within the within the federation that needs to go and and to be able to to process that with with no additional hit to performance it kind of has to be in hardware and i i see you see that with the three par as well you know three par has has custom silicone in there that that does a lot of the the magic that makes three par in my opinion a really good array mm. yeah okay that's uh, seems seems fair enough but it's quite nice that you're not necessarily tied to buying you know, you can uh, buy just the special source. You don't have to then buy the the commodity rebranded. Someone else's kit sits around it. Whether it's you know, in the case of other vendors, whether it's from Supermicro or the, whether it's from Huawei or you know, insert vendor name here, um, that you can actually have just if if you like what a company does, you can have their bit in it. Yeah, um, and I and sitting here on day three. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll say that um, I know that's possible. I don't know that that's a standard skew. I think that may be a, a special support request type situation. Okay. Um, but, but it's it's definitely possible. I mean, it's it's one piece of hardware with some software that runs runs alongside it. Um, in a uh, obviously, you know, the benefits of the whole stack aren't there. Um, as you know, I was talking about being able to deliver the whole thing in one package. Um, that falls apart a little bit in that model. Um, we start talking about how the system has to be set up from a VMware perspective and, and the virtual machine that runs the, the control software of it all um, is, uh, you know, w- would have to be manually configured. So the, the time to market, you know, from the time that we show up with a box to the time the customer is running production on it, obviously, is, is not as quick in that model. Okay. Um, so. You know, tying it all together is, is really the the big deal there. Yeah, but I, I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the uh, in a couple of years' time when people are going to be moving off one generation of some kind of hyper converged solution over to a new version of the same, and you might uh, and see how the how the different vendors are going to actually uh, help mitigate the moving. Moving over the uh, the uh, the workloads that are working running on them uh, from one generation to the next. Back to the CPU discussions for for one uh, as one example. And that uh, might be the that might you, be the make or break for for these guys to see which one exceeds excels. Yeah, yeah, because when you when you roll your own infrastructure, you can get a new bunch of servers, set up a new cluster, connect it to the existing storage. And kind of move over VMs on a on a regular basis from one cluster to another cluster without having to to actually uh, because you can reach the storage independently of the the uh, the hypervisor uh, you can do that with minimal downtime and minimal impact 
But when you have everything in one box or everything in X amount of boxes and you want to introduce a new generation, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how, how that's going to work. How, yeah. how you're going to be able to migrate your workloads from one generation to another, from one uh, hyper-converged uh, solution to a new generation of the same solution. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's certainly going to be an interesting thing to revisit in sort of you know two two to three years time when those those first gen boxes are starting to get a bit bit old, yeah. Um, and, and see see the level of pain or I'm not. Sure this, this testing, I'm sure that in the development of these new boxes, these things will be tested like crazy. They'll already oh, yeah. be some kind of a best practice guide. I, I I'm guessing we'll we'll see some kind of uh, connect your new hyperconverged box to the old one through a, a 10 gig uh, thing and we'll move it over it'll, for you. It'll be as simple as updating an iPhone, Christian. Okay. <laughs> Let's hope it's better than that. Well, here's a, here's a good, here's an example of something like that. I mean, it's a really old technology and whatever, but you guys know what Centera is at all? Uh, like yeah, a, that was the old EMC dedupe device, wasn't it? Uh, no, it's, yeah, it dedupes, but it's like an, a real archiving thing. Yeah. And uh, works with uh, stuff like Ixos and stuff like that to leave a stub behind. Oh, okay, yep. You just go back and retrieve it. Well, we had um, some Senteras from, I would say, about 10 years ago. And um, it was the new, and then we needed to buy new ones because they were completely out of support. Nobody would support them anymore, no matter if we throw extra money at them, whatever. They were able to have some sort of a thing where you could plug in the second Sentara, start a hot migration, and um, when the when the migration is complete, sends a mail to EMC, tells them, hey, this is complete now, and shuts down the old one, and actually changes the IPs and wow. everything. That's pretty so, slick. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's got to be really, it's got to be, with the hyper-converged stuff, it's got to be really doable. Yeah, so the, the, bar, the bar has been set. So, uh, yeah, no, it'd be good fun. Um, change, changing subject ever, ever so briefly is, um, so, apart from your brand-new day job, um, you've been quite heavily involved in the um, the VM underground side of things for for VMworld. Are you looking forward to, to ramping things up for that? Yeah, well, looking forward to it. Now we're uh, hot and heavy right now, big time. Um, but yeah, there's there's been a lot of announcements out already. Um, I guess the the big thing I'm probably repeating a lot of stuff that a lot of people have seen. Um, uh, working with the Deep Brown Bag team to put together what we what we termed as the opening acts, um, essentially just a uh, uh, opportunity for us to get a little bit more um, maybe unfiltered um, content um, from from people that we know in the community, people that we all hopefully trust at some level, um, to do kind of panel sessions and, and get some really smart people that we all look up to up up in front of a group of people and we can just pelter them with, with questions and awesome. and have a, a very open dialogue discussion, um, not just among the panelists, but we're going to try and keep the uh, the audience as engaged as possible and try to so do it our own this, special this is way. Sort of, um, I mean, the thing started up, um, well, that, that's been going a couple of years at the VMWorld Europe. So this is uh, in addition to that, or is it taking you know those lightning talks that kind of run in parallel during the main conference and pushing them together into a single day? Or no, this is this is completely net new. Um, so um, you know, VM, VMware's had their their lightning talks. 
the V Brambach crew has been doing their tech talks. Um, that, as far as I know, um, is, is more or less the same same deal going on. Um, this is this is completely net new. It doesn't replace VM Underground either. So it's just one of those things where we're, we, you know, every year at VMworld after the party, it becomes this giant brainstorming session. Everyone wants to come up with, with things that they want to do and, this was one of those that really kind of stuck with us and said, you know, this is this is a good community building thing. Let's let's get people together and involved and having having fun discussions together. Awesome. Do you think it's gonna is is that gonna be happening at um, Europe as well? Um, as of right now, we are not planning that. Um, it's it's always something we talk about every year. Um, generally speaking, from a sponsor's perspective, we've we've had a difficult time getting getting sponsorship. Um, wrapped around that to make it worthwhile, um, mainly because you've got a bunch of crazy Americans that need to get over the pond in order to do that. Um, so, you know, I guess it's a call out to your to your probably primarily European listenership that if they want that to happen, get some sponsors coming our way saying that they're interested in that. Do you do it? So, uh, in terms of timing, that's before Partner Day, or so. Uh, um, the opening next is going to be Sunday, which I believe is the same day as Partner Day, um, same okay. day as TAM Day. Um, it's from 1 to 4 p.m., um, and then we, we essentially break, kick everybody out at 4, um, gives people some opportunity to go to the, the welcome reception. Um, people are welcome to, to come and head over to Vodgeball, which we do overlap with a little bit. Um, no no issues with that whatsoever. If people want to want to come to us for a little bit and then go over to Vodgeball or and we're all about the community, so if, if people, there's multiple community events going on at the same time. And then uh, once once the welcome reception is done, um, 8 o'clock, we, we open the doors for the traditional VM Underground party. Brilliant. That sounds sounds like uh, as an event, it's going from, from strength to strength. I, I particularly like I like the concept of yeah, the, the, the warm-up, um, and particularly a, a warm-up that's interactive. Uh, yes. You know those group sessions at, uh, at VMworld always seem to be the ones that fill up fantastically quickly. No one can ever get in, in on them. Um, and also, if like me, you actually have to work at VMworld um, on doing boot duty, which you'll have the, the joy of doing. Yep. My advice: bring very, very comfortable shoes, even more comfortable than as a delegate, because you don't get to walk around as much. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know it's something that I, I could personally see myself getting involved with if uh, if they did it in in Europe. Uh, yeah, that would so, be interesting. Yeah. Um, so so with that, um, to all of our uh, American users and anyone going to uh, VMworld US, make sure you arrive early and uh, hang out with the the VM Underground guys. Um, is there any? You haven't announced any of the panelists yet, have you? No, nope. we we've announced what panels we're going to have. Yeah. Um, as of as of this recording, mm-hmm. um, the panelists were were trying to solidify one or two more in, in each session. Some of them are complete, and we'll we'll start rolling those out. Um, it, probably in the next week or so, we'll start announcing who those panelists are. Okay. Cool. I I've actually been uh, I haven't mentioned this for anyone uh, to anyone yet, but I've been asked to step in for in uh, a VMworld session in Europe this year. So, if I haven't been able to say uh, that I I can do it yet, I really want to. That's a group uh, discussion kind of thing. I'm I've been asked to be one of the panelists on it. Um, 
Wow. And hopefully, hopefully, I'll, I'll get confirmation that I'm going to Barcelona sometime soon, and then uh, then I can also accept the place at uh, and actually be a part of a VMworld session for once. So we that can't would... hear what it's about, or no, I'm not going to say anything yet. Okay, it's a surprise. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those Norwegian hipster things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know much, it, it's, uh... much like your VMworld shirts, Chris. Uh, yeah. Oh, that, that, those I've, I've got something special this year. You you do not want to see them before the party or before VMworld, and you probably don't want to see them afterwards either. No, but this this, but this some year is just really going to be impressive. VMworld <laughs> leather chaps. <laughs> no, no, no like it, it will be regular clothing, but it's it's, okay. it's something a little bit. It, it won't special. be face melting. It'll, it'll be in a bird. It might well be retina stinging, I suppose. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm acutely aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then let's uh, let's take that opportunity to wrap up here. Let's thank our guest a lot, uh, Brian Nelson. Thanks a lot for being on. Absolutely. And uh, as usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks a lot.